Hebrews chapter 2. I know I said we'd be in Hebrews chapter 3 this week. What's that gum doing there? Um, but once again, the preacher lied. We're, I said I thought we'd be out of chapter 2, but for reasons that I think will become clear a little bit later on, the Lord just said, linger a little while longer. You know, that the odd thing is that the Word of God is so profound. It is so deep. It has got so much, so many treasures there that we have spent, we have spent, what is it, eight, nine, ten weeks on chapter two. And now that I'm done with it and looking over again, it feels like we rushed it. Let's go back and, and start over again. Maybe before the eschaton, before the Lord comes, we'll have a chance to do the whole book of Hebrews again. Who knows? But, but uh, right now, we're just going to move on and pick up the pieces later on. But it's just got so much of that is there. I want to read the last few verses of uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and the first verse of Hebrews chapter 3. And um, my, my version is a little different than the one in the bulletin. I'm reading out of the Revi New Revised Standard Version, which I've really begun to like a lot lately. Here's what it says, verse 17. Therefore, all right, pause. Remember, the, the issue here, the issue that the author is dealing with is the question of why God became a man. Who is Jesus? Is he above the angels? And if he is above the angels, if in fact he is God, why is he a man? And so the author is explaining why God became a man. And he's wrapping the whole thing up here in these verses when he says, Therefore, he, Jesus, had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. His being made like us in every respect qualifies him, in other words, to be merciful, to be compassionate. He's on the inside. He was made like us in every respect to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. And because he himself was tested by what he suffered, Jesus was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are now being tested. Therefore, brothers and sisters, holy partners in the heavenly calling. I love that translation. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our, con of our confession. Turn your mind towards Jesus. Think about Jesus. Turn your attention towards Jesus, the high priest. The one who is uh, the apostle of our confession. Let's pray. Father. Lord, I, I'm just very aware that, that what you put on my heart to share this morning, there's not very good words for. And Lord, that could really be a frustrating thing if I, if I tried to compensate for that. And so Lord, I want you to free me from, from that. But to do that, Lord, we just need to ask you to make up the difference, God. I would pray that, that um, your spirit would be so present here, so tangible here, Lord, that you would take the words that are said, however inadequate they may be, and they will be inadequate, Lord, but you take them and apply them to our ears and our hearts and our minds the way that you individually want. Lord, I, I know this, God, that you are passionately in love with every person in this auditorium here this morning, but I also know, Lord, that, that we have ways of keeping you at bay and keeping each other at bay. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be a tender, uh, a tender fire here, Lord, that would melt ice in hearts, and tear down walls, Lord, 
God uh, be like smoke in a room that just fills every crevice of every room in our heart, Lord. But I know, Lord, that it's not going to be by our might or by our power or by our speaking that that's going to be done. It's by your Spirit. And we just say that out loud, Lord, and say, Holy Spirit, have your way here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, because they are amening people. Here's where we're at. We found uh, in the last several weeks, talking about why God became a man. God has a manifold wisdom, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3. And the word manifold there means many folds, many layers. Okay, there's, there's just many dimensions to what God does. He's, he's infinitely wise. So we're just hitting on some of the highlights of why he became a human being. We may get to heaven and find out that there's about 74 other things that he accomplished by becoming a human being. But right now we're just dealing with the text. And the text gives us four things that the Lord accomplished by becoming a human being. First of all, he made atonement for the sins of the people. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The Lord God Almighty became a human being. He took on flesh. Because you need to have flesh if you're going to die, if you're going to shed blood. He took on human flesh. He took on the nature of those who were at war with God. He paid the price, satisfied the moral law, the justice of God, proclaimed God's forgiveness. And now all who put their trust in the cross are declared to be righteous by faith. Righteousness is credited to them. That's the atonement. It literally means at-one-ment. It means this for us, that if we will receive it, if we say yes to it, if we put our trust into it, sin is no longer the issue between us and God. He regenerates us by his grace, and that makes us want to move out of sin. But we move out of sin as a consequence of what he's done in our life, not as the precondition for it. We are made at one with God. He did that by becoming a human being. That's called the incarnation. A second thing the Lord did, we saw last week, was this. He was our trailblazer. He was the one who paved the way in setting the example for how we believers are going to live. He's the master teacher, and he sets for us the example of how his disciples are going to be. A disciple is a disciplined one. One who looks to the master, follows his lead, and has their life disciplined by what they see. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the trailblazer. What we saw last week in a nutshell was this, that we are called... We are called to live a life that is very different than a life that is lived when you're not a disciple of Christ. We are called to follow Christ's example. Who, though he was in the form of God, didn't grab after equality with God. But he emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation, Philippians 2 says. He became a servant. He took on our nature. He took on our condition. He took on our judgment. He suffered on our behalf. And he didn't need to. He did it voluntarily. He did it out of love. And then Paul says, let this mind also be in you. Let this attitude characterize your life. What it means is this. In contrast to the world, which tries to take their 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years and cling to it and grab it and try to get all the life you can get and get all the nice things you can get and live as comfortably as you can and as happy as you can, in contrast to the world, which lives life as a black hole trying to suck in from their environment, from the world around them, all the life they can get, in contrast to that, the believer is supposed to live out of a fullness of life that we have on the inside for free. We are, rather than trying to cling to our few years here on earth, we realize that this is but a prelude to the real show. This is but a warm-up. This is our embryonic period where we're getting ready for reality. It's not even real yet, really. 
And so we don't cling to it, but rather, following the example of our Lord, we are to be prepared to give it away, to invest it in what is eternal, to invest it in other people, to live a life of love, in other words. And this might mean, we saw last week, it might mean suffering. The Bible tells us as we follow the Lord to be prepared to suffer. The flesh will always resist this. We're called to live a life prepared to suffer. Suffer for righteousness' sake. And not always questing off of a, a, questing after a little better life, a little better marriage, a little bigger house, a little bigger car, a little better dress, and being miserable with what you've got. We are to be prepared to just live our life in terms of what we can give away and what we can invest in other people. And the promise of Scripture is this, that if you lose your life, you find it. Amen? That precisely when you crucify the flesh and you say, I will now live for my Lord and I will now invest in others and I will quit trying to cling and grab and get, when you quit trying to find your life, you no longer lose it. When you seek to lose your life, give it away, invest in others, live a life of love, then you find it. Because there's a love and there's a joy and a peace and a power. The life of God Almighty that gets manifested then. And it's a life you never would have had. It's a life of the Spirit of God which you find only by crucifying the flesh. Jesus Christ came to set an example of that. For the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12 says, he endured the sufferings of the cross. So also believers are called to find the joy of God by enduring the sufferings of righteousness, whatever that may be. And the third reason why the Lord became a man, and we sing a lot about it this morning, was to beat up the devil. And he did it good. The devil doesn't understand love, we saw last week. He doesn't understand that, doesn't have a clue. He's a, he's a being that's devoid of love. And when you forget how to love, you get real stupid. And so Satan is the cosmic idiot. He doesn't understand love, so he doesn't understand why Jesus Christ came down to earth, because Jesus Christ came down to earth out of love. What he does know is this. If it's flesh, he can kill it. Satan has the domain of this world. He's the Lord of death. Hebrews 2 tells us this. He has a legal hold on this world. 1 John 5, 19 says he's in control of the entire world. So the Son of God enters his world, his kingdom. He's now under his jurisdiction. If it's flesh, I can kill it. He doesn't know why the Lord came. He doesn't understand that. The demons are always asking Jesus, why are you here? Why are you here? Jesus doesn't tell them. But the Bible does say this in 1 Corinthians 2, 8. If the princes of this world, the principalities and powers of this world, if they had understood the wisdom of God, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. See, they, they, had, they had the Lord crucified because they thought this was their one opportunity. They didn't know why he became a man, but if he's a man, he's vulnerable, and that means we can get him. We can gain victory. What a great break, they were thinking. Finally, he made a mistake. He plays into our hands. So they had the Lord of glory crucified. If they would have saw why he came, they wouldn't have done that because... And this is the greatest joke in the Bible. The whole thing backfires on Satan, praise God. The Lord knew that Satan would grab him. The Lord knew that he would have him crucified. And that's exactly how the Lord planned on atoning for the sins of the people. That's exactly how the Lord planned to set us free. That's exactly how the Lord planned to defeat the enemy. The, and the Satan, in trying to grab the Son of God, virtually commits suicide because all of his weapons, all of his arsenal against us, all the condemnation and judgment and degradation and destruction that he had on us got nailed to the cross when he nailed the Son of God to the cross. And the result of the whole thing is this. We are set free and the enemy is defeated. And the, and the enemy plays right into his hand. We have God to thank for our salvation, but we can also give a little tip of the hat to Satan saying, thank you for, making, for helping the Lord make atonement for the sins of the people. Praise God. That is the manifold wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. 
There is a fourth thing that the Lord accomplished in becoming a human being. And I was going to move on past this, but this became really huge for me last week. And it's found in those verses where it says that he he became in every respect like we are. And he was tested by what he suffered so that now he he is a merciful high priest. He's on the inside. He has compassion on us. And he's able to help us when we are tested. He is a Lord who empathizes with his people. Becoming a human being, he enters into, as it were, solidarity with us and now empathizes with us. I want to probe a little bit deeper than that, though. Because I believe the Lord knows everything. He didn't have to become a man to do that. Though, in doing that, he shows us that he can do that. But the fourth reason, and this message here for the next ten minutes or so, is going to get just a little bit thick, all right? You're going to have to put on your thinking cap. I'm going to give some theology here. Some theology of the early church stuff. A lot of of, uh, preachers are afraid of getting into deep theology because you think that you're going to lose people. But see, what I know is that people who come to Woodland Hills are really, really smart. So we can go ahead and go for it, right? All right, good. The Lord wanted to manifest, fourth reason here, he wanted to reveal his love by doing what love always does, and that is it seeks to enter into the world of the beloved. The Lord wants to manifest who he is. He is love by showing that love outward, by acting off that love outwardly, and by doing it towards us, by becoming one of us. He enters into our world. He gets on the inside, and in doing that, he manifests who he is. Now let me explain this. To explain it, I'm going to use a difficult word here. Everyone, when you leave this this morning, you're going to know this word. You can impress all your friends by using this word. The word is perichoresis. Say perichoresis. Perichoresis is a Greek word. Go tell your friends you know Greek. Perichoresis. The early church fathers, when they were trying to understand how God could be Father and Son and Holy Spirit at the same time, they used this word perichoresis. They saw very clearly that in the Bible, God is one God, and yet he exists in three different ways. That's all the doctrine of the Trinity means. But these three different ways are as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that God is love. What the early church fathers of the 3rd and 4th century said, and it really reflects a biblical perspective, is this. The three persons are related with a perichoresis kind of love. The word perichoresis means to envelop. It means to wrap around. Or actually, peri means to surround. Choresis has the the, uh, meaning of, of, we get the word choreography from it. It means to to dance, to move. Perichoresis means to move around, to envelop. It denotes the closest possible relationship that you could have with another person. It literally came to mean the mutual indwelling of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what the early father said is this. This is good Trinitarian theology. Keep your thinking caps on. Do not lose me because you're going to see that this is a very important concept to know. We, we, we can't lose this good theology in the church. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have a perfect love for one another and a perfectly intense love, a perfectly passionate love to one another to the point where their very being is involved in one another. They dwell in one another. They live for one another. Their identities are wrapped around one another. Not in a dysfunctional enmeshment sort of way, so that they lose their identity, but a perfectly loving sort of way. There's a vulnerability and a passion and an intensity that defines God as love throughout eternity. That's what the doctrine of the Trinity is all about. 
It is, it is, I believe, the most beautiful concept of God anyone could ever have because I believe it's the concept that God gave us of himself. You can look at every religion that exists. I spend my life doing that. Uh, examine every philosophy that's ever been, and I don't think you can ever find a view of God that is as beautiful as this. Only the Christian view of God can with any consistency say that God is loving throughout eternity. God doesn't become loving when he creates the world. He is love throughout eternity. He's not some lonely deity existing in the blackness of space throughout eternity. He's not a God who, as many religions say, who needed to create human beings to feed him, or he needed to create human beings to serve him, or he needed to create human beings because he was lonely, or whatever. This is a God who, in, his, in himself, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is a perfect love, a dynamic love, a full love. He is in need of nothing. His being is love. His being is ecstasy. His being is perichoresis, mutually ecstatic, dancing around one another. That is the being of God. God is love, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about the glory that he had with the Father before the world began. He didn't start relating to the Father when he became a human being. He's had that from all eternity. That defines God as a God of love. And according to the, to, to the Christian teaching, God created this world not out of some need that he had, not out of to fill a void, not to get fed, or, or because he wanted some people to worship him. He created this world out of a fullness that he has. Out of an abundance, out of an ecstasy, he creates the world. Like, like a loving married couple, they don't have kids to, to make the marriage or to fix some problem in the marriage. They, they have the child as a natural outgrowth of the love that they have together. So also, God, like a master parent or a master artist, he creates, he replicates, he pours out. There's, a, there's this ecstasy and fullness that is there. And the Christian vision of reality is this, and I believe it's the most beautiful vision of reality that there is. It's that behind the world, as the ultimate canvas of the world, the ultimate backdrop of the world, you have to just understand there is a love that we can't even begin to comprehend. An intense and a passionate love. The reason for everything. The ultimate background for everything is the God who is, the creator who is, unending, infinitely intense, passionate love. The reason why you exist is because God is love. The reason why you take your next breath is because God is love. The reason why you think your next thought is because God is love. The reason why there's grass on the ground and clouds in the air and birds everywhere, except in the wintertime, of course, is because God is love. The reason why it's 10 below zero is because there's a Satan who's against God, but God is love. <laughs> Amen. So we rebuke the weather and tomorrow will be 80, right? God created, now follow me on this, this is, this is good theology, this, this informs our worldview. God created human beings in the image of himself, in his own image. We are beings who crave to have perichoresis, a perichoretic kind of a love, an indwelling kind of a love. Here's what it means to be made in the image of God. Two things, first of all, we crave relationship with one another. God created Adam and he said, it is not good that Adam exists alone. It's not good. So he created Eve, and out of that came, comes the whole family of humanity. We, like God, don't exist, are not supposed to exist in solitude. There is in each one of us, in the core of our being, something that craves perichoresis. That's the title of this sermon. That craves someone touching their soul. 
Perichoresis means that someone enters in and sees the world from your perspective, understands who you are, understands your motivation. We crave intimacy. We, 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 we dread being alone. We feel that it was right, it's right, it's necessary, it's good that somebody touches us on the inside. Apart from all conditions, apart from superficial kind of relationships, we crave perichoresis. Marriages are supposed to be perichoresis kind of relationships. Families are supposed to be perichoresis kind of relationships. God makes us like that. But see, we have a lot of fears, don't we? We have a lot of wounds. And so we invent ways of keeping people at bay. We can use humor to keep people at bay. You're getting too close, let's throw a joke. You can use busyness as a way of keeping people at bay. You can use intellectualizing as a way of keeping people at bay. You start getting abstract or whatever. You can just use all sorts of avoidant tactics of, of keeping people at bay. Because inside of us there's something that's afraid of intimacy. There's something that's ashamed of intimacy. That's part of what it is to be living in a fallen world. And let me just say this. This isn't the main point I want to make this morning, but I want to throw this out here and ask the Holy Spirit to do with it whatever he wants. One of the things that the Christian community is about is supposed to be, see, look at God, God desires this. He wants us to begin to relate to one another the way he relates to himself. He wants to, in his own way, replicate Trinitarian, perichoresis kind of relationships in our midst. He wants us to begin to model for the world and to model for each other something about what God is like. Being involved in one another's life, being committed to one another's life. So he says, Father, in John 17, I quote that, that prayer a lot. It's just been hitting me this last year. He prays, Father, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. I pray, Lord, that they can begin to love even as we are loved. I pray, Lord God, that the world will see that I am sent from you because of the way they love. I just want to say this. God is leading us in, in ministry here in Woodland Hills this year to be praying towards and working towards and thinking towards, asking the question, how can we begin to develop a perichoretic kind of Trinitarian relationship among one another? Where we begin to love one another like the Bible says we need to love one another and be involved in each other's life and celebrate each other's birthdays and carry each other's burdens and cry with each other's sorrows and be there when we need comfort and be there when we need strength and pray with one another and celebrate with one another and dance with one another. Have our lives begin to dwell in one another, to tear down the walls and tear down the, the distancing arms and begin to be able to seize in each other's eyes something of, of what is true. That needs to be happening because that is what's going to show the world what God is like. When the Christian community begins to love like God is love, the world sees something they can't possibly have. Be praying towards that. Be asking the questions. A lot of you are involved in relationships like that. Praise God for it. Others, we need to just be praying about how can we begin to provide occasions for people to meet one another. To begin to develop these kind of relationships that will grow towards a certain kind of intimacy. Perichoresis. The other thing that it means to be made in the image of God is this. To be made in the image of God is that God wants a relationship with us. Dig this now. God wants a relationship with us that models the relationship he has with himself. The infinitely intense, passionate perichoresis of the Godhead, that mutually indwelling, vulnerable, intimate relationship that defines God throughout eternity, God now turns towards us. And he wants this kind of relationship, this kind of vulnerability with us. He doesn't want a religious relationship. He doesn't want a formal relationship. He doesn't want a behavioral relationship. He doesn't want to just stop at a liturgical relationship. 
doesn't want an acquaintance kind of relationship where you tip your hat on Sunday mornings or tip your hat maybe every morning. But he doesn't want to sell. He doesn't even want a good relationship with us. What he wants is a sold-out, utterly abandoned, passionate, intimate relationship with us where, he be where we begin to experience the kind of love that he is and we begin to participate in the kind of love that he is. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Lord inspires Paul to, to liken the relationship he wants with his bride, the church, as being like the relationship that a husband is to have with a wife and a wife is to have with a husband. Absolute intimacy. Amen? The Song of Songs inspires this view of Christ's relationship with the church, where it's one of passion, it's one of love, it's one of intimacy, it's one of vulnerability. That's what the Lord desires with us. John 17, listen to this, that prayer again. Jesus prays this, Father, I pray that they may be in me and I may be in them, that we may be one even as you and I are one. Think about that. That's perichoresis, mutual indwelling. I pray, Lord, that I could be in them and they in me. I pray that they would abide in me and live in me and have life in me and I am in them. E Ephesians chapter 1 puts it like this. We are loved by God in the Beloved. As we are in Christ, as the Father loves the Son, so also he loves us. Not as a second kind of a love, but in the very same love that defines God throughout eternity, he loves us. The bottom line of this whole thing is this, as we're sitting here this morning listening to this talk, we need to develop this awareness that we are now the object of God's perfect love. A love that is the zenith of a point of all love. You couldn't improve upon this. You couldn't turn up the fire any more than it is right now. And he desires that kind of sold-out, abandoned, intimate relationship with each one of us and doesn't want to settle for anything less. But we've got walls, and we've got calluses, and we keep people at bay, and we sometimes keep God at bay. And the Lord is saying to us this morning, I want in. I want all the way in. Let me all the way in. Let me share with you an experience that I had last Sunday, and this is sort of why I'm talking this way here this morning. Um, I, I felt like I got ambushed last week. Do you ever feel ambushed by God? I don't know if you, if you can relate to that, but it's like, God, you, 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 uh, you weren't playing fair there. I'm glad you're not, but, but it, it's like I got caught. And let me explain what I mean by this. It was, a, it was an interesting day. In the morning, somebody, and I don't know who you are. Maybe you're here this morning, and I want to thank you for obeying the Lord here. But you went up to my wife, Shelly. Couldn't get a hold of me. But went up to my wife, Shelly, and, and you felt like the Lord gave you a word to share with her. You felt, she tells me, kind of awkward, kind of uneasy about it. You didn't know what it meant, but you felt like you should share it. And sometimes God does that, right? And if you're going to be a pygmy, pygmy is somebody who just obeys God no matter what Western culture would say about it. That's the definition of the term, you know? So uh, you just act on it. You just go with it. So this person said, the Lord, I'm supposed to share this with you and share it with Greg. I don't know what it's about. But the child is a wanted child. The child is a wanted child. So she came home, and we talked about it. She goes, you know, this guy said, you know, that the child's a wanted child. What does that mean? And I go, I don't know. What does it mean? We thought for a while maybe it referred to this little boy that we've, we've taken in. We're sheltering this little boy uh, who just needs a home. And he's a great little kid. Love this little kid. Uh, he's just wonderful. And, and we've taken him in. And we're, we're praying about what the Lord would have us to do here. And it's, it's kind of complicated and stuff. But we thought, well, maybe it refers to him. But that didn't seem to fit, because we already want this kid. It's like, we, we know that. Uh, yes, of course this kid's a wanted child. We want the kid. 
So it didn't seem to fit. So we didn't know. And, and a lot of times with these things, you know, you don't know. You just say, okay, let's put it back in the back of our, well, let's file it. And if we're supposed to know something about it or if it's going to come true or whatever, it will become clear at the time and we'll remember this and then we'll apply. So we just kind of went on with that. Now that night, I was in a prayer meeting. Uh, the prayer meeting that we have at the church office um, the first Sunday of every month. And let me just say to you that if it's possible for you to make it to any of these prayer meetings that we have, almost every week we have a prayer meeting at someone's house or someplace in the Twin Cities, God really does some cool work in those prayer meetings. Uh, you just, if you can do it, do it. I was at this prayer meeting on a Sunday night, and I shared, as we often do in these prayer meetings, I shared a need that I had. I just asked, could you pray for my family? I feel like we've been under some attack. We've been going through some stress. Uh, we're just, we have a lot of adjustments, and we just need prayer for peace and strength and protection. Well, some people started, and I just thought someone would, would over in that corner pray for me, okay? They didn't. People got up and they came around me to pray for me. And it, it's part of the piece that I want to share with you that, that I, I always, I don't feel really uncomfortable about that, but I get kind of uncomfortable with that, okay? Um, and the reason I get uncomfortable is because it's like I, I was thinking to myself, oh no, don't make a big deal out of me. I mean, you know, just a little prayer. And, and don't, don't concentrate on me, okay? I just don't. I don't want to take up all the time. But here they were taking up, I was taking up their time, and they're praying for me. To make matters worse, there was one lady who was praying right in front of me with her eyes open, uh, <laughs> looking at me, and she started praying about me. And now this is like, <sighs> this is too close. And, and I'm for healthy boundaries, okay, but this was... See, you just got to know this. I, I, there's, there's a part of me I understand that, that just is, uh, it's like when, when someone says I love you to me, I, I, unless I'm used to it, I, I, I immediately am like, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, I, pra- praise the Lord covers all awkwardness, you know, praise the Lord. Or if someone gives me too many compliments, like, you know, if they start pouring on compliments, I really have trouble with that. And some people have noticed it. I, I, I look down and and it's like I'm embarrassed by it or something, so I always just say, well, praise God. And that's a good thing to say, praise God. That's who should get the credit. But I just have trouble with that. And that's a piece that, that fits into this whole thing. So this lady's praying for me, and she begins to pray about this little kid. She starts to pray, God, I, you know, heal Greg on the inside. Heal, heal uh, the child inside of him. Lord, whatever wounds are there from him being a child, bring healing there, Lord God. Show him how much you love him. Show show him how much you want him. Show him that you're there, Lord. Help him to forgive those who did things uh, towards him uh, when he was a kid. Now, here's the thing about that. that It is the case that that I had to go through a lot of stuff uh, in terms of healing about childhood issues. Um, my mom died when I was two and I was raised by a stepmother that I never felt loved by. I felt like my father loved me, but he was never really around. And I've shared quite a bit of that with the congregation at different times. But um, never felt really loved. I never remember kind words being said to me. I never remember climbing up on anyone's lap and being cuddled and cradled and said, I love you. And I don't remember that kind of gushy stuff. What I do remember is, is being punished in some bizarre ways. My stepmother had, a, had abusive forms of punishment and that, that really hurt, and that, that were really um, uh, damaging. And I do remember at, at a very young age making a commitment to myself that I was never going to be hurt by her again. That if she didn't love me, I was not going to love her, and so I quit. And that no matter what she did to me, I would not be hurt. 
I, I would not let her hurt me. She could hurt my body, but she was not going to hurt my soul. And I just sort of severed my emotional system then. I, it's like, I'm done feeling here. It, it cost too much to feel, and so I was done with it. You can make me lick crayon off a wall. You can make me, you know, uh, put ice packs on my face because you hit me so hard, but you don't even touch me. And I learned how not to cry. I learned how to be invincible. And the Lord had to do a lot of healing in my life. And, and just by being the Lord to me, by, by having times of intimacy and fellowship, there was tremendous healing that took place. And he let me see that he can be my mother better than any mother on earth ever could be. And he can be my father better than any father could ever be. And, and I just transferred all my needs unto him. And the, here's the thing that got me this last Sunday night is that I felt done with all this. For about two years here, I, I felt like this is a done issue. Um, I haven't wrestled with this. I haven't, you know... I felt really healthy. I feel really good. I feel like I've arrived, you know? So she's praying for me, and she's kind of getting crying and anointed and all this stuff, and I'm kind of wondering, I'm happy for this. I'm thankful for this. Thank you for doing this. But on the other hand, I feel done with this. So there you go. And so I'm kind of unemotional. It's like, thanks. All the while kind of squirming, saying, I wish you'd close your eyes. You're too close. At the, towards the end of this prayer meeting, we were taking communion. And Mary Lynn Christopher, uh, who has had a ministry of dance, she's done a couple of dances here up front, she just felt led of the Lord to go out to her car and get this boom box and put in this tape and, and do a dance as we were taking communion. And for the first minute or so of this dance, I thought, this is nice, this is, you know, good, you know, this is, you know, this is appropriate, I, I like this. But then something happened which completely changed the contours of, of the evening. Um, I, and here's where words will utterly fail me because I, I can't describe this but it was, all of a sudden the atmosphere of the room changed um, the texture of the room changed I felt like I went to a time bubble of some sort it was like one of these zing kind of experiences and in that moment I felt the Lord say to me Greg I'm talking to you I'm talking about you. This is applied to you. Now, I'm sure every other person in that room could say this is applied to me. The Lord is great on that kind of a thing. We all think it's for us individually and personally. It's for everybody. But it is for me personally. And so the Lord is saying, Greg, I'm talking about you. This dance is about you. There's a phrase that, that I don't remember the lyrics of, of, of the song and, and, and the exact choreography that she was doing, but the essence of it was this. The, the song was, if I could just climb up on your lap for a moment and then make it last for eternity. I would cover, you could cover me in your holiness. You could cover my shame. And the Lord just said, Greg, I'm talking about you. And we are not done with this. There's more of me than you have ever dreamed about. And there's more of you than you've ever let me in on. I want to go further now. It's time to peel the onion a little bit further. At that moment, I felt ambushed. Because now I began to realize that, it was, that this whole thing about the child's a wanted child is about me. And I have just been so good at being done with my issue that I didn't even think about applying it in that direction. At that moment, it was like there was a little kid that got very angry again, saying, why wasn't there a lap for me to crawl up on when I needed to crawl up on a, on a lap? Where were the grown-ups when I needed the grown-ups to be there? Why was, why was it when I felt shame or I'd done something wrong or I was in trouble, I always had to run from the people that were supposed to be loving me. I couldn't go there and find some kind of consolation and solace. Why is it that I always felt like I had to cover my own sin? Why did I have to be invulnerable? 
And it was like there was a dimension, a wound there that I had not yet gotten to. Yeah, great, a lot of progress here, but there's still some hurt there. I felt like a little kid with this wounded, bleeding side, and the Lord is saying, we just let me touch it. But see, you're afraid to let someone touch it, so you say, no, don't touch it, don't touch it. And it's just saying, Greg, let me just, just a little touch, and I can heal that, like I've healed all the other ones. He was saying to me in that moment, in that kind of like, bam, revelational moment, Greg, Again, you need to know in a deeper way than you've ever known. I want to touch a part of you that's never been touched. You don't need to fear me. You can be open with me. I know who you are, and I love you anyways. Climb up on my lap just as you are. Climb on my lap with the wound. Climb on the lap with the hurt. I want to be on your inside, not just a little bit on the inside. I want to be in the core of the inside. I want to be in the heart. I want to be in the hurt. I want to be in the wounds. I want to be in the darkness. I want to be in the shame. I want to be perichoresis, wrapped up in your sin, because that's how I'm going to heal the whole thing. I want to have a love towards you, the same kind of love that characterizes me throughout eternity, and that's how you're going to know who I am. Let me in. And I began to just bawl like a little baby here. There's a part of me that, just as a little kid says, I, I want to climb on the lap. I, I want to climb up there. I haven't been there for a while. I climb up, and would you, would you just cover me in your holiness and hide the sorrow and hide the shame? And the Lord says, that's what I've been saying to you all day long. And then as she, began to, as she just did this dance, I just rested in the Lord and was cradled in his arms and was healed by his love. And I guess the thing here is this. You maybe think you're done. I, the Lord's never done, and the Lord's never done. There's different stages that, that you go through, and then you have times of reprieve, but this morning, I know this. I know this. As we're sitting here, I don't know where you are with the Lord, how long you've known the Lord, or how deep you are with the Lord, but I know that he has, the love that he is is now tor- turned towards you. The infinitely intense, perfect love that defines God throughout eternity, perichoresis, he now says, I turn it outwardly towards you. And it's directed at you, and you, and you, and me. He has that love. And I also know this. He wants in on everything, like smoke in a room wants to fill every crevice. And I know that I have and you have layers that we haven't dealt with yet. Distance things, distancing things, calluses, fears. And the Lord just wants to say, let's let them come down. Let's sit together. Let's be together. Let's grow together. Words fail me on this, in expressing this. But what I want to do is to have... Mary Lynn, come up now and, and just give a sermon without words. This is a sermon. This is a, a visual sermon. And just let her minister to you. Let the Lord minister to you through her. Let God do whatever he wants to do here. We have nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to gain, nothing to lose. Let's just open up, unveil, and let the Lord just minister through us. After she's done, uh, don't clap. We're used to that, and, and we mean it as a clap to the Lord and everything. But I just feel like, and Marilyn feels like it would just be good just to sit. Just sit and let the Lord minister. Praise God. Father, you have your way here, Lord. We invite you in. You're a gentle Savior. You do not heal. You do not strike. You change us from the inside. But Lord, that means we have to let you in on the inside. And I pray, Lord God, as this ministry goes forth, as this dance occurs, Your spirit would be hovering over us and loving us, dancing around us, perichoresis, surrounding us, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that we could feel your arms around us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.